Andrea Lucado speaks to all of us who wrestle with doubt and identity. That line right there was the thing that said, i got to get this girl on the show. What she didn't expect was that God would be much bigger than she'd believed. The church wasn't just a part of Andrea Lucado's childhood, as you can imagine, with a name like that. It was her childhood. It provided more than happy moments. It provided an invitation to know Jesus. When Andrea arrived in Oxford the year after she graduated from college, she expected to meet God there. In Oxford? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> he was just real smart. So many nights I felt like the details of my faith were getting fuzzier. She must have been drinking. Nights turned restless with questions. I questioned God's existence, and the doubt was getting into my bones. In English lessons, Andrea takes us through the roads of England and, more importantly, the paths of the soul. Here she explores the journey of a changing faith in an unchanging God and why growing up starts with realizing just how small we are. The website is Andrea Lucado, L-U-C-A-D-O, AndreaLucado.com, and she joins us from, I don't know, where are you, Andrea? I'm in Austin, Texas. Oh, you're home? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Austin, I'm Texas. In, well... I just moved back. I was in Tennessee for seven years, and I just moved back to Texas this year. So, yeah, I am home. It's so sweet. Sorry. Hey, what do you think about Karen Kingsbury? Have you ever read any of her books? Um, no, I haven't. I was just listening to the end of, of your interview with her, and I was like, great, I'm following up Karen Kingsbury. The number like, she has 50 New York Times bestselling books and is just this super well-known writer. So I haven't read any of her stuff. No. Um, I do a lot of fiction, though. I mean, I read a lot of a lot of fiction, just not um, romance stuff. So, but she says her stuff is not actually romance. So I'm like, maybe I don't understand Karen Kingsbury. Maybe I need to sort of revisit yeah. her. Yeah, I think that's the thing, right? I think I put her in that romance, you know, Fabio on the front of her book category. Yeah. By the way, did you ever, have yeah. you ever seen? Which is not, by the way. Have you ever seen the picture of Fabio? Fabio, whatever we call him. When he was riding a roller coaster and the bird hit him in the face and it broke his nose? No. <laughs> Did that really happen? Yeah, that's funny. you got to look that up. Yeah, that's right. That's oh, my God. Yeah. Fabio is the can't believe it's not butter guy, right? I don't know. Maybe in the or States. someone else. He's, a, uh, he's, yeah. a, he's on the cover of, like, all these romance novels. He's got the oh, long man. hair. Long, flowy body. hair and the broken nose. <laughs> and the broken nose. <laughs> Oh, that's so unfortunate that happened to him. I, yeah, that's how I'm feeling. No, I'm laughing at him. Um, okay, growing up under the shadow of Lucado, some people say Lucado, but it's Lucado, correct? That's right, yeah. Good, good for you for knowing that. Well, your dad's been on the show before, and I think he might have corrected me. So, um, <laughs> Growing up in the shadow of Max... Uh, and that whole name and pastor's kid and all that kind of stuff. I would assume that before you went off to Oxford, your your God thing was, you know, locked and loaded. You were, you know, because so many kids graduate high school and then they go away to college and this, their spiritual lives just get eaten alive and they come away, they come away nihilists. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm assuming, you know, growing up in the Lucado family, you were just a perfect spiritual specimen well you would think so i think a lot of people would probably have that perception i had so my i had you know sort of a season of doubt in oxford but i had had a season of doubt before that in adolescence kind of in high school and really i was asking questions about faith from the age of five i don't remember this but my dad has told stories and so i think it i think it was just sort of in me i don't know if it was pushing against 
what my family believed or if that was kind of it was a rebellion thing or I think it was really just a curiosity thing. And when you're a curious person, you're going to be asking questions about what you're being told to believe. Yeah. Like, oh, how, how do I know this? So I kind of had that. And then I actually went to college and <clears> like, was, I went to a Christian school and really did not have many struggles like faith-wise when I was in, in college. And so it's interesting that it was after that you know, going to college in a place where, oh, not everybody here is like me. I've never experienced this before. <laughs> Who am I? Who's God? You know, that's when that all happened. So, um, but yeah, a lot of people do. I, I think they say, I forget the percentage, but a lot of millennials are going to college and, and declaring themselves as having no religion by the time that they're finished with it. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have any moment? I mean, come on, you're at Oxford. Somebody must have challenged your faith. Oh yeah, it, there was um, there was a lot of all of, all of my friends in in my class in the school that I was going to Oxford Brookes University were agnostic or atheist. I think maybe some might have been other religions, not Christianity. And so I had one of my one of my good friends there, Ben, was an atheist, and I remember kind of in our first conversation, he was asking me all these questions about being a Christian, and I thought, oh, this guy. He's kind of be a Christian too, and then he told me, "Well, I was a Christian for two years, and then I realized this is, you know, this is not true. This is not for me." And so that was really rattling for me because I was like, "Oh, so people become Christians and really decide later that they're not." I mean, this is really a thing that that happens with people. So I was constantly being, and he made a joke about I must have been drinking, and I was drinking a lot that year, probably more than, than I usually do, because I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't know how to deal with these atheists and agnostic people, and it turns out they were really fine with my faith, you know, they didn't really care, but um, for me, it was like, oh, I I need I need alcohol to help me through this sometimes. <laughs> don't we all? Um, so... <laughs> So Oxford, as far as the history of Oxford, I mean, it had a pretty big God history in its background, but what's it like now? Because I get the impression that they grow atheists at Oxford. You know, that's the that's like <laughs> ground zero for atheism. <laughs> I know, and you know, especially, so I was there in 2008, 2009, and Ben actually recently told me, he was like, you know, I think you were hearing us talk about atheism so much because the God Delusion had just released uh, by Richard Dawkins, and Dawkins lived in Oxford. And so it was just kind of, I think, his circle and his friends, I don't know, but it was kind of the place for atheism, especially during those years, um, is there. And it's such an academic place, and it's a place where people finally have found all the answers. They don't need God necessarily when they have science and, and things. You know, God is kind of for the weaker species. It felt like I was a little bit you know, maybe not as intelligent because I believe in God. And so I was really struggling with, wow, all these people are really smart and don't need God. And I really feel like I need him. And that makes me wonder, am I weak? Is this, is this wrong? Um, so it's definitely, a, can be a shaky place when you're a person of faith to be in Oxford. Well, yeah, I mean, even the the country as a whole is very, very secular. Uh, the UK, yeah. I mean, I spent a, a a fair bit of time over in Scotland, and whenever I do a wedding over there, there's just a lineup of people that want to talk about God's... You know, I could be at a pub, uh, just minding my own business, no one knows who I am or what I do or anything, and somebody else starts a conversation about God, and there seems to be a real mm. thirst for authentic spirituality over there, and I think they're just tired of of uh, ch of God being encased in, 
in the church of the country, right? In the in the Holy Church of Scotland or England or whatever. So, so was that your experience? Yeah. Yes. The Christians I knew in Oxford were Christians. I mean, they were like, this. I really believe this is not cultural Christianity. This is, and I'm from the South and have always kind of lived in the Bible Belt of the U.S., as it's called. And so, that's I mean, people here, it's like, if you don't go to church on Easter, what's wrong with you? (laughs) You have to do certain things. And so over there, it's totally different. So the people who are in the pews truly believed, uh, which I think is better than having a bunch of, a big church full of people who are just kind of there because it's what you do. Uh, But it is interesting to see the history of the church and the Protestant faith and how the you know, there are, you know, monuments to martyrs in Oxford and for who died for the faith, and yet it's such a secular place now. It's very interesting to see how it changed and changed relatively quickly. Folks, we're on the line with uh, Andrea, <clears throat> and uh, Andrea has a famous father. Doesn't that suck being introduced like that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I've ever been introduced in that way before. I know. That's why I didn't do it. I totally didn't do it. You are part of a generation, Andrea, that can sometimes be a little cynical about the church. Um, But you grew up in the church, and you've got Joe Church Guy as your dad. Um, Where are you? By the way, how old are you, Andrea? Am I allowed to ask that? Am I I allowed to ask that? Yeah, well, I'm 30, so you're not allowed to ask that for much longer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. But this year you can so I'm an older millennial, I think, because I think millennials are like born in 1980 to 95. Right. That's how I understand it, but I've seen different dates, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But, oh. but yeah, so um, I'm, I'm very. Okay, but are you, so are you cynical about the church? I mean, are you allowed to be cynical? What if you start, what if you wrote a book that said the church sucks and you're the daughter of Max Licato? Like, how's that going to go down? Well, it's not a great title for a book, in my opinion, but um, (laughs) my dad has always been very open to any sort of cynicism I expect or questions. He wouldn't care, I don't think, (laughs) but other people would would probably care more so. Um, But I really, I had a good church upbringing, and I know that's not every pastor's kid's story, and that's not everyone's story who grew up in church. And so I consider myself very fortunate to still have a mostly positive view of church. And, I've, you know, that's changed. Over the years. Some years I'm, I'm really into church, and some years I'm, sort of, I'm more cynical, and I'm like, oh, I just don't think this place is very genuine. And so um, it kind of depends on, on where I am. But I would say in general, I, church is the place that taught me about Jesus, and that's the most important lesson I'll ever learn, and so I'll always be grateful for that. Uh, What was, I can't remember who said this quote, I'm going to look to Tim for some more advice. The church is a whore, but she's my mother. St. Francis of Assisi. That was Assisi, I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Have you heard that? Yeah. Uh, I think I've heard that, or at least a a variation of that. Mm -hmm. Um, That was word for word. It was. Uh, it's just harsh today because no one, you know, every time, the only time you hear the word whore is on Jerry Springer or something. So the church is a whore, but she's yeah. my mother. And I think, you know, she gave birth to a lot of us, but the unfaithfulness of the community of believers mm-hmm. is redonkulous because it's filled with humans. So Right. Yeah. And I have to remind myself of that a lot. This is a human, this is kind of being run by humans. And so it's just, no place is going to be perfect, and there's going to be stuff happening behind the scenes that you don't like necessarily. And, you know, I never wanted to work 
in a church. Like I have two sisters who have both worked in ministry, and I never have, and I I don't think I ever will. But um, so there is kind of a part of me that's like, I will attend church. I don't want to work at a church. So that's kind of right. <clears throat> now, how many mind. how many siblings do you have, Andrea? I have two. I have two sisters. I'm in the middle. Oh, you're one of those. You're a middle child. I'm a middle child. (laughs) So, did you get enough attention growing up, or were you overlooked? I was definitely overlooked. (laughs) Definitely didn't didn't get enough attention. I'm called the drama mama in my family. (laughs) Drama mama. (laughs) I have to to be dramatic to get anybody to pay attention to me growing up. That's funny. Um, yeah, so I now like that in normal life with friends and stuff, but with my family, I can definitely revert back to nobody's paying attention to me. Let me make some sort of dramatic statement here to get everyone to look at, to look at me yeah. again. Uh, yeah. That's too funny. Okay, and the, uh, the, the, the sisters, your sisters are both in ministry, you said? They, they work in... They the... have not currently, they have both worked in ministry okay. before. So, um, yeah. And actually, my older sister, I don't know, has actually been on staff at a church, um, but her husband has worked on staff, and I feel like sometimes, just by default, you are also basically on staff when, when that's the case, just with how much time you spend. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so who is the better Christian out of the three of you? Um, my older sister. <laughs> what? <laughs> my younger sister would agree. <laughs> Hold on. Well, so this is just it's totally textbook. So the oldest one is the is the one that your parents were the hardest on, and they're they're, they're trying to impre- like please and be the best kid possible. The middle child is like, hey, what about me? What about me? And you're just lost in your own identity. And the younger one is a jerk. <laughs> my younger my younger sister has always been just herself all the time, which, yeah. is, which I love, because I feel like my older sister and I have always sort of felt the need to, you know, to be a certain type of person at church or in different places. And my younger sister has just been very consistently herself her entire life, and I've always really respected her for that. She's just she's who she is, wherever she is. And I'm like, that's good. I need to learn how to be like that. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll be like this. <laughs> you go, girl. I have a feeling that English lessons has this lovely kind of combo platter of um, like travelogue, painting pictures of England, kind of a Karen Kingsbury, you know, little sprinkling of romance and, I don't know, flowers and and, uh, Hugh Hugh Grant climbing up a ladder and going, whoops-a-daisies. Uh, which is from Notting Hill. Anybody? No? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then, uh, but but also it's got theology. So it's got your dad. So it's like a combination of Karen Kingsbury and Max Locato. If they wrote a book together, it would be like your book. <laughs> um, well, you know, if you haven't read Karen Kingsbury, I'm not sure how influential she was in the writing. <laughs> okay. My dad was definitely influential. I definitely have his some of his boys, you know, in in my writing and stuff. I see that come out of it. So, so many people think so. that I, I, you know, I get sent ten books a week, and and people think, oh, you you spend a lot of time reading. No, I don't. I for a number of reasons. <laughs> One, I have a major reading comprehension issue, which is why I left high school in grade nine. Number two, um, just not interested in reading that much. And number three, uh, I find that when I 
when I did really read a book before an interview, I would ask insider questions as opposed to real questions. And, and outsider questions, I think, are more interesting. So I want to ask you a couple of potentially abrasive outsider questions. So number yeah. number one, um, who, you know, the typical kind of interview question, who is this book geared for? Who do you see reading this book? Everybody, the guy working at the shop on his automobile or homeschool kids or moms or what? I mean, who, who is this book for? So uh, technically on paper, like marketing plan, women age 18 to 35 is who, is who my audience is. But I think that's just because that's who I am and this is a memoir. And so my story is probably going to connect with women which is interesting because after writing the book, I kind of realized there's really nothing exclusively. There's one chapter in here that's going to connect with women more than it's going to connect with men. And the rest of it is kind of just general co-ed sort of writing. But, um, but I think someone who grew up in the church and kind of either has never questioned their faith or has always questioned their faith and felt kind of alone in that, um, that's who's going to really get this book. Like, oh, I know, because I grew up in religion, and either I've never questioned it or I've always questioned it and didn't feel like I could ask those questions out loud. So that's who I see connecting with this book the most. But I've heard from people of all walks and stages who are reading the book. Some people who I'm like, oh, you read my book? <laughs> that's so, like, my friend's dad read my book over Easter weekend. I was like, I didn't think you would read my book, but I'm so glad that you read it and enjoyed it. So cool. it sounds like it's connecting with a broader audience than I thought it was going yeah. to. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think, look, you've hit on a subject that's finally, I mean, I've been doing the show for 14 years, and and I think only in the last six years have I seen or begun to see a flurry of books about this subject of doubt, which is interesting to me because 10 years ago I came out on air with Ravi Zacharias and I said, dude, I'm no longer convinced that there's a God. And my cell phone went off, and I had to figure out whether I was still going to do the radio show and whether I was, you know, my people in my life hated me or whatever. And um, and I've been processing this journey for a while now, and I've come to the conclusion, Andrea, that doubt is more compatible with faith than certainty. Yeah. And, yeah. and that I actually feel sorry for those people who have not doubted. Now, I'm also like frustrated and exhausted with the fact that every stinking day for how many years have I been stuck in this, in this, yeah. I don't know, this valley of doubt. But uh, I'm glad that you are writing this from your position of being a church kid, a pastor's kid, you know, you, you growed up in the whole thing deep as it gets. And then you went off to a legit, you know, I mean, seriously legit university, um, and you've just you've kind of pulled your all your experience and put it together in this book and and you've written it for that demographic which i think that i mean that's exactly who needs to read this so i guess what i'm trying to say is yay you <laughs> well yeah i mean i i like you i'm sort of more skeptical of people who are not skeptical than people mm -hmm. who are just so certain and mm -hmm. are just like i know exactly what who that is i know exactly what this <laughs> passage means, you know, I'm like, no, you don't. And so I I definitely am for asking those questions. And I can definitely, when I'm fearful or, you know, I can definitely withdraw and be and, you know, try to not question those things. But the questions are always there, rumbling kind of beneath the surface. And so I love books that feel, that give me permission to think what I'm thinking or feel what I'm feeling or be who I am 
And so I really hope this book gives people permission Excellent. to be doubters and to ask questions. That's my biggest hope. Is like I just hope people feel like they have permission to be where you are in that tension of I am not certain on a day-to-day basis. So, so yeah. Excellent. Excellent. The, this is why I wanted you on the show. I saw your book uh, on the uh, – on the. Uh, I keep mentioning your name. It's probably t- – for anybody who's been listening to the whole show, first of all, you need a life. Go do something. And second of all, I'm sorry about repeating this name so much, but I was at Kathy Lee's house last week, and, and your book was, was there, and that's how I found out about you. Okay. Yeah, she held it up on uh, on her hour on the Today Show, uh, and I didn't know she was going to do that. And a friend texted me a picture of the TV because he was watching it. And I was like, "She's holding up my book. That's, yeah. that's crazy." So you just saw it at her house, and it was just sitting. Yeah, yeah. There, probably in her huge stack of books that she gets. No, no, it was on the kitchen counter, <laughs> and uh, we were talking about it, and uh, and I saw my, you know, the catchword for me was the D word, right? Um, Doubt is is uh, is a beautiful thing, and I'm glad that someone from the Lucado family is speaking about it. So good for you, thank you, Andrea. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm you know good for you too for digging in and asking questions and not pretending like <clears throat> you're certain all the time. I think people need that on air as well. You know, I need I need to know that there are people out there speaking to kind of represent what I'm what I'm thinking and feeling. Represent. That's me. What? what? (laughs) All right, Andrea, thank you for your time. And um, I was going to say, say hi to dad for me, but that doesn't make any sense because he don't know who I am. So just. He does, actually. He said he remembers being on your show and really enjoying it. Oh, they all say that. Come on. (laughs) Not to me, though. If he's talking to me, he'd be like, I don't know. I don't remember seeing that. Like, he doesn't remember. And he enjoyed it. Well, yes. Tell him he is is beloved uh, amongst many. I think. Oh, here we go again with the Kathy Lee phrase. She's got like three of his books in her dressing room. It was just a little sickening, okay? A little, little <laughs> pathetic. So, Anyway, you take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Andrea Lucado Bye. on the Drew Marshall Show. I like that kid. He's a good kid. Good kid. Stay with us.